0: A good friend of mine, he uh, just got married and he was looking for a house. And in the process of looking for a house, he found one with a swimming pool. And the reason why he wanted that one is because when he was younger, he had an accident happen to him which caused him to be afraid of and unable to swim. So he thought, this would be great. I buy this house with a pool and I'll be able to learn how to swim. But what he didn't realize is that Opening up a pool in Michigan after the winter is hard work, so he wasn't able to do it right away. In the meantime, and in his inability to open up the pool, he ended up having a son, and of course, that's a whole bunch of work. He finally was able to get the pool open, and as he was finishing up and he was vacuuming the pool, he put his son in a little walker and set him in that walker. And there's tons of pavement around the pool, and he said, this will be perfect for him to uh, learn how to walk. And so he was busy vacuuming the pool in the shallow end, just vacuuming away, and all of a sudden, he heard a splash. And to his horror, he looked down in the deep end, 10 feet down was his son laying there. He had to think fast. He had to make a choice. It was either A, save his own life, and watch his son drowned in front of him, or B, risk his life, learn how to swim really fast and save his son. He didn't think very long, and then there was another splash into the pool. He dove down there, and you have to understand, he was in overalls and a long sleeve shirt. This is not exactly the best... Uh, Something to wear to go swimming in Especially for the first time He struggled down to the bottom of that pool Grabbed his son Swam over to the edge of the pool To accidentally kick himself back out into the middle Struggled back over to the edge Picked his son up and laid him on the edge of the pool Expecting to have to do CPR But lo and behold There his son was breathing and perfectly fine I am so glad that my father decided to jump in the pool and save me that day. So, before we get on the rest of what God did in my life and the rest of the story, I would like to pray. What I would like to do is have a moment of silent time uh, for you to pray, and I just have two requests. Two requests. Number one, that you pray for me that when I'm telling the story, that it'll be to the glory of God and not to the glory of sin. And that number two, that you pray for yourself, that you will receive a blessing. That somehow, in some way, in this telling of what God has done in my life, it would touch your heart supernaturally with the Holy Spirit. So we'll pray quietly, pray for those two things, me and yourself. Then I will pray out loud and we'll get into the rest of the story. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, just, I just thank you for what you've done in my life. And as I am sharing uh, what you have done in my life, I ask that somehow it'll be life-changing. Every time I tell it, it reminds me of how much you love me. And I pray that somehow, in some way, in the foolishness of me preaching about what you've done in my life, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may do something to somebody else. I don't deserve to be up here, but I know that you can work mightily in spite of that. So I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So soon, um, not soon after that, a couple years after that, my parents decided to have another, another child. And so my baby brother um, was born. So there was just the two of us. My parents stopped having kids after that, um, mostly because my mom uh, had a terrible time with the second pregnancy and then my brother ended up being a a little bit more than a handful added with me. So, but growing up in those early stages, I thought life was perfect. Maybe not leave it the beaver perfect, but close to it, you know, parents, two boys, it just seemed great. But about eight or nine years old my mom took me grocery shopping just me I got to sit in the front seat I was super excited but what happened on the way over to the grocery store my mom started to cry and she started to cry hard she started to weep she started to sob and I'm like sitting in the front seat thinking mom would kiss my boo-boo and make it better but I have no idea to help her And I was just freaked out. She pulled into the driveway or the parking lot of the grocery store. She sat there just crying her eyes out for what seemed like forever. And then finally, she got her composure and she blurted out, Your father and I are getting a divorce and he's going to jail. She said some things after that. I don't remember what she was talking about. Just the shock of the moment was sinking in. My dad's going to jail. My parents are getting divorced. Come to find out that my dad ended up being a drug dealer in Grand Rapids and he got caught and he was going to jail and then he also um, ended up going down a road where my parents did some drugs together but he went down harder drugs. My mom wouldn't have anything to do with that and so he found someone else to do do it with who was a female and other things ensued. So my mom wanted no part of that. So they get a divorce and it affected me but I kind of recovered because, you know, the fact that my dad was a drug dealer helped my popularity in school go up a little bit. And I got really used to two sets of Christmas presents and two sets of birthday presents when my dad got out of jail, especially since he felt so guilty and he tried buying back our love. So we were getting spoiled pretty rotten. But, you know, time goes on. We adjust, got used to life again. But about eight years later, when I'm 16 years old, Uh, I was playing video games over the modem, and this was back in the days when they made noises, the And what happens is when you're playing games on the modem, if someone tries phone calling, uh, giving you a phone call at that time, it would interrupt your game. My mom and my brother left to go take, uh, my mom went to go take my brother to a basketball game, and so I was just really killing my friend on this video game, and I was really enjoying it, and all of a sudden the game kept getting interrupted, so Irritated, I finally pick up the phone, and I, this lady's on the phone. She says, "Listen, you need to get a hold of your father, and you need to get down to the hospital because your mom was in a serious car accident, and your brother and your your mom are in serious condition." So I call my dad. Now let me tell you something about my dad. My dad, he had a big beard, biker beard, you know, Harley Davidson jacket, biker guy, real strong guy. In fact, one time. He was unloading his Harley Davidson out of the back of a pickup truck, and his friend let go of it, so he grabbed it, and in the process, his thumb got caught between the spokes and the fork, and it tore it off except for on the thread. So my dad picks the thumb up, walks into the house, and he grits his teeth, no tears in his eyes, and says, hey, we got to get to the med center. My dad just never cried. That's the way he was raised. You don't cry. My dad always loved my mom. He always said the biggest mistake of his life was what he did to her. And he always regretted that. He loved my mom. Always would say that, almost to the fault. Every time he would take us on visits, it was like the first thing he would come out. He's like, you know I love your mother. I feel terrible. He just felt so guilty about that. He loved my mom. And it really showed because when he came through that door after calling him, he was weeping the way my mother was weeping in that parking lot. Because he said, when he got composure, he said, I saw the car. There's no way anyone could have survived that wreck. And so we rushed down to the hospital, and we got to the hospital. And they pulled out my brother, and I was able to see him, and he was, he had, he was in a coma for about three days. And they said he will be normal and everything will be fine even before he got out of the coma. Some people who know him might disagree, and sometimes I question that myself. But, but he was fine, and that was okay. But my mom, when they pulled her around, she seemed to be like almost more machine than woman at that time. Just things plugged into her. There was like a train of nurses holding devices as they went by. It really scared me. It freaked me out. And it was six months of not knowing whether or not she was coming out of that coma, whether or not she was going to stay that way, whether or not she was going to survive. It was terrible. It it, it left me traumatized. To this day, when I do ministry, hospital visitations are the hardest for me because it just left such a trauma for me. So it takes everything in my ability to go visit someone in the hospital because I hate them so much because watching my mom in that condition for six months really affected me. So my mom... She, she was a Christian. She was one of the only Christians I knew when I was a kid. And so when this happened to her, she raised me in the church, and I was about to be confirmed in this church, and this happened, and I was, really, I was really struggling with the idea of God. I mean, if God's going to do this to her, what is he going to do to me? And so I was totally struggling with this, and I was hanging out with friends that doubted God, and of course you throw in the learning evolution, all that in the mix. I just was ready to give him up. So they, I got a call from the church and they said, the bishop's in town and you're ready, you're ready to be confirmed so you can be confirmed. And I'm having all this struggle. I'm going through all this struggle. And I said to the person, I don't even know if God exists. And they said, oh, it doesn't matter. You can get confirmed anyway. And it doesn't work anymore. But back then, I just looked at the phone and I slammed it down. I just slammed that phone down. I mean, cell phones just don't, Pressing the button just doesn't have the same feeling. It's just something that you just... Getting the phone slammed on you or slamming the phone, pressing the button just doesn't do that anymore. Well, I slammed the phone down. And when I did did that, it was symbolically slamming the phone on God. I was like, I'm done with you. If this is what you do to people who serve you, forget it. I'm done with you. And so I became an atheist and went down a very, very dark path. But what was something that I didn't see, something very beautiful was that my father moved back in to take care of his two boys and he would all, he'd visit my mom every day. And he visit my mom and when she came out of the coma, he started realizing that the brain injury, she would not be able to take care of her two boys again. She wouldn't be able to take care of herself. And so he said, the best thing I could do is remarry her. Now, you have to understand, about the same time, one of his friends, drug dealing friends, got out of jail and he hung out with strippers half his age and he could party with them and my dad could have done that but instead he chose to remarry my mom in her brain injury state was not able to provide the physical pleasures of marriage to him he decided to marry her because he wanted to take care of his family and that was the thing to do and he was an atheist but I don't think he was able to make that choice without the grace of God working in his heart way before God was working in my heart. And I look back on that, and I just know that God was working in my father. And he came back, and he remarried my mom, and he came back to take care of both of his sons and his ex-wife, who now was his wife again. And so that was going on, even when I was going through my dark spell and drifting from God. And so what happened is, is when my mom was ripped out of my life, it just left this hole in me. And I kept trying to fill it. I Filled it with stuff. Of course, my dad spoiled us, so we always had like every video game system. Um, I ended up buying a Harley Davidson motorcycle in this process. And then I also bought my dream car. Now, I'm going down a dark path, so my dream car was a hearse. Do you guys know what a hearse is? You know, it puts the coffin in. I didn't work at a funeral home, but I drove a hearse. And in fact, I've owned two of them in that period of time. And so I had a hearse, I had the the motorcycle, I would get things. I did well at work, I made money, but it just never was enough. And so the other thing that I looked to was success. I've done some things, just a couple of things. In high school, we were the national champion of marching band. Down the, uh, we went to a national competition in Florida, won the whole thing. We, we, um, in football, I played on the varsity football team. My junior year, um, I'm from Grand Rapids, so our suburb of Granville won the state championship, which was the first Division A school west of Lansing to win a a or double a championship but these things that happen and then you're like now what it just didn't fill you so i ended up getting a girlfriend my senior year and that came the closest to filling this hole but then two weeks before the senior prom she dumped me by email she didn't even contact me it was by email and it just ripped my heart in two, and it made things, like, worse than they ever were before. And so I went, and I turned to something that my dad turned to, and that was drugs. But I didn't want to be like my dad, so I had this, like, rule that I would only do things, which is funny. I'm an atheist, and I said, only things that God gives. So I would, sm- like, smoke things that were grown, like marijuana, um, I would drink alcohol because it came from grain, and I would take psychedelic mushrooms, but I didn't really want to touch any of that other chemical stuff because it messed up my dad so much, and I thought, that, it's natural, this is the way to go. So I was doing this stuff, and I was getting darker and darker, and I would go to these spring breaks and do this kind of thing, but ended up spring break ended up lining up with Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras was always kind of mythical to me because that's where my parents went for their honeymoon. So there's this kind of romantic idea, let's go to Mardi Gras. And I went to Mardi Gras and I decided I'm going to go there and I'm going to, you know, I'll break all the rules. So I'm going to take whatever, whatever I can find. And so I ended up meeting this guy who was living in a van and he ended up inviting us in and he ended up giving me a jar that kind of looked like this. I actually, he started passing it around and he said, hey, if you take a couple of drops out of that jar that's pure LSD, it'll give you a wild night. So the jar came to me and I was a little tipsy. And so I pulled out the stopper I filled it up And I went to give a couple of drops And I accidentally squeezed the whole stopper So I've tested this A dropper like this Well it's about 30 to 60 drops So I took about 30 or 60 times the amount of LSD That I should have taken So I just thought well I kind of overtake stuff Smoke stuff more than the next guy I'll be alright I woke up like 12 hours later in a hospital, strapped down to the bed with temporary amnesia. I didn't know who I was, I didn't know where I was, I didn't know why I was there, I didn't know what was going on. It's like one of the scariest moments of my life. You just kinda wake up and you're like, what is this? As I started to calm down and the drugs started wearing off, piecing together what was going on, I remembered what happened. And I'm not going to go into all of that, but I do want to share you one part of it that was pretty interesting. I started to think when I was taking this trip, it would be really cool to be the devil. I of imagining myself having all these powers. In the process of doing that, I told my friend to get lost, and I sat down on a bench next next to a set of trolley tracks down there in New Orleans. So I sat down there, and then I started to see this spiral And as I would go into this spiral, this euphoric experience would come over me. And this melodic voice said, Yeah, if you just go to the end of the spiral, I'll give you these powers the rest of your life. But then, there's this little voice. And this little voice said calmly, You don't want to do that. And they kind of went back and forth. And as I went down the spiral, getting closer and closer, almost to the end, the voice that was small and soft got a little firmer and said, hey, you really don't want to do that. And I'm like, why not? And then as if answering that, that voice took control of everything, and all of a sudden, it was in this pitch black area, and I was sitting down in the thinking man position, and I had this thought, I've been here 6,000 years, what's a 1,000 more? And then the next thing I see is I'm riding some kind of monster um, animal thing on a parade, and everyone's worshiping me, and then I look up And there's fire coming down from heaven. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want this. And as if answering what I said, everything came back to reality. And I'm standing on the trolley tracks and there's a trolley headed right for me. I jump out of the way just in the nick of time and I'm freaking out and I run into a hotel, a real fancy hotel, and I just fall down in the lobby in the fetal position and just start weeping. Some paramedics come try taking me I end up trying to punch to them and they end up strapping me down and then I woke up in the hospital at that moment I was like okay there's a higher power that's good and there's a evil power and so I became agnostic but what no one told me or I just didn't realize is that LSD stays in your system and so the next few months were terrible my mind started breaking down. I always was good at school. Even in the midst of smoking pot and drinking, I would get straight A's and A minuses. But all of a sudden I couldn't I couldn't think straight things would happen. I would be doing something and I would have a flashback, a full-out trip when I didn't want it. One time I was working and all of a sudden the Campbell soup cans, they like came alive. So the, the, where the white and the red label meat became a mouth and they tried to bite me. And you just can't work in that condition. So I'd go home sick. I was falling apart. And I was thinking, should I try Buddhism? Should I try New Age? Should I check myself into an insane asylum? What am I supposed to do? And so it was just a terrible few months and he was just breaking down, falling apart. And in one of these times when I was flashing back, and it, I just felt this tremendous sense of guilt. and felt terrible and things are all going crazy. And I went and knelt down in front of my mom and begged her for forgiveness for being such a rotten son. And I said, I'm going to take you back to church. Let's go back to church. So I went to this cathedral in downtown Grand Rapids. And we went to the church on Sunday evening and I sat in the back, and the priest got up to speak. And he started speaking in his homily, and it sounded like the Peanuts cartoon, the Charlie Brown, when the parents get up or the teacher gets up, and it's like, wah, 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 wah. And I was just like, this is, this is not it. I was like, I just don't think Christianity is it. This makes no sense. This is gobbledygook. And so I just knelt down in the back, and I prayed. I said, God, if you're real, you've got to show me the way. And I just kept repeating that as tears are streaming down my cheeks. And I went through the whole service like that, brought my mom home, went to bed, and forgot all about it. <clears throat> a couple days later, I'm back after working the graveyard shift, and I'm sitting on the couch, flipping through channels, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. So I go to answer the door, and there's these two girls and this guy, and they're just kind of spieling off this, this Christian stuff. And I'm just like, oh, man, I just don't want anything to do with this. And I don't know what happened, but the guy was sensing something. So I was about to shut the door on him, and he grabbed the flyer, and he shoved it into my chest, and I grabbed it. And I said, I have my own church. And it's just about to slam the door in his face. And he said, hey, read the flyer. What's it going to hurt? And I slammed the door in his face. And those words just haunted me. And that voice came back and was telling me to read the flyer. And I wrestled back and forth three times doing this. And each time I'd notice something new in the flyer. And like the first time I noticed, it said, Revelation promises hope. And there was a collage of people of all different ethnicities there worshiping together. And I thought, man, I thought Christians were racist. This is different. I mean, if there's a real God, this is what it would look like. Because he would have made everybody. Because you can't be Christian or racist, or at least you're not a real Christian, so I was like, maybe this is it. And then I read another part of the flyer, it said, meet our speaker, ex-punk rock, ex-atheist, ex-skateboarder, what's he doing holding a Bible and wearing a suit? And I read about the topics, if God's so good, why is the world so bad? I was like, that's exactly my problem. What, What about hypocrites? And I was like, man, and then this is the thing, this is the thing about hypocrites, When The reason why I wanted to reject those young people at the door is because when I grew up in high school, being an atheist in Grand Rapids automatically was a knock on your popularity. You couldn't be as popular if you were not a Christian. In fact, all the cool kids went to this youth group called Young Life. My friends were always trying to get me to go. And they're like, man, the girls are beautiful there. They're so easy there. And I was like, what? I want nothing to do with that. They should be different. They should be holier. I don't want... And another time, my friend, I would party with him, and he was a Christian, and I would get up on Sunday morning, hung over, and he'd be like, hey, let's go to church. And I'd be like, why would I want to do that? I want to nurse this hangover. I just want to stay in bed. He said, come on, you can get another spiritual high. And I'm like, listen, man, when we die, where you're going, it's the same place where I'm going. We're the same. Don't fool yourself. And he just kind of looked at me and blew me off. Most of my Christian friends... I blew off because of this hypocrisy. Didn't want anything to do with them. And so I'm reading this flyer and I'm thinking, man, this sounds interesting. And then I remember my prayer. Okay. I don't want to go to some place that's going to have Kool-Aid laced of cyanide or some weird cult. None of my friends will go because I got rid of all my Christian friends and my atheistic, atheistic friends will think I've lost my mind. So God, if this is what you want... This is what I want you to do. What I want you to do is I want you to send the guy back down without the girls, have him take me to the meetings. Now I've used to sell world's finest chocolate bars for going to field trips to Chicago or to Cedar Point. And when you sell door to door, you go down the street and you don't go back down. So I thought this is perfect. Part of me didn't want God to exist, so I wanted to line it up into the impossible. And then the other part of me really deep down wanted him to come through. So I did this test. So I went outside and I sat down on my porch and I waited and I waited and I waited and I I got impatient, so I got back up. And I went to open the door and as I was going to step inside, I thought this thought, I knew you didn't exist, but I got interrupted mid-thought because I looked back one more time, and lo and behold, there he was walking back by back down the road by himself. What came to happen is that these kids got lost. They were supposed to be in Wyoming, and they were in Walker. They were like 15 minutes out of the way, decided, hey, this looks like a good neighborhood to, to pass out some flyers. And then in... The process they didn't realize how long the road was they're running out of flyers and all of a sudden he's like "I have this thought I better go back and get some flyers and he walked back down the road just at the perfect time so I went up to him and I'm like hey man I really want to go to this meeting and he shook my hand and, he, and I asked him if he would take me and he said sure thing brother and I'm like he's like dressed nicely and I'm in baggy pants and a ratty t-shirt wallet chain rough-looking And he hearse in the driveway, and he's multicolored hair, and he called me a brother. And I'm thinking, we are nothing alike, but he still considered me a brother. And he proceeded to take me to the meetings. They ended up being in week number three of a six-week evangelistic meeting, and I fell in love with the message, and they gave me cassette tapes, and so I dug out my Walkman, which I hadn't used in years because who listens to cassette tapes. And so I listened to these cassette tapes and I listened to two weeks worth of meetings in two nights. Two weeks after I went to that first meeting, I ended up being baptized as Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Some people say it takes a long time. No, it doesn't take a long time. Not when the Spirit of God's moving. And so I studied all this stuff And when I finally went forward on that appeal for baptism, that night I went to bed, and I don't know if this is dreaming or if it was real, but I woke up, and there was this, like, shadow on the end of my bed with these two red eyes shaking its head in disgust at me. And I said, I don't want you in my life anymore. Get out. And I went out the window, and I woke up that morning and just felt totally different. felt clear in my head. Just the the color came back to my face. And the Bible worker came. He's like, man, you look different. I was like, I know. And I told him what happened. And it's just amazing. So this is the thing. God healed me. No more trips. No more flashbacks. He healed me. Not only did he heal me, I didn't discover this until I came back to college. He gave me an upgrade. Because you see, when I went to school, I did terrible in math. Until they gave me the calculator in seventh grade. And all of a sudden, my math scores went to A's because I couldn't do math in my head. And so all of a sudden, I was like able to do math with the calculator. So that's how I was able to get good grades. But when I came back to school here, I was sitting in the astronomy course of Dr. Kutzner's, and I was sitting in there, and he's putting an equation on the board, and I just looked at it, and I'm like, oh, I don't remember the answer, but I I remember blurting out, oh, it's like 62 and a half. And he didn't even finish the equation. He looked at me. He's like, oh, that's good. That's the answer. I was like, wow, I can do math in my head. So not only did he heal me, he gave me an upgrade. So all the academic achievements are all glory be to him because I couldn't do it. In fact, I fried my brain. So if it wasn't for him doing that, I would have been nothing. That's why then the the scripture that I have, it's John 10.10. The thief cometh to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundant. The devil had a plan for me to destroy me. And what I thought was great and fun ended up being my destruction. But when God came in, he gave me a better life. He gave me a new life. He restored my brain. He started restoring my family even before I acknowledged it. In fact, he didn't stop there. My brother, who actually was on a camping trip when I went to those meetings, was praying for me. When he got back, he was so freaked out that I joined some weird religion that he, he went off the deep end and started doing bad things. In this process, he tells me, because I'm trying to share like crazy, I'm like addicted to this message. So I'm sharing with everyone, and he basically says, Hey, you're going to win, Mom. You might Win me, but you'll never win dad. A year later, I told my dad about a set of meetings, and he went and really encouraged him to go, and he was the first person that I was able to help become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. From atheist to Christian, he was the first one. My brother was shocked. Of course, my mom got baptized with my father a year after, a year after me, and so my brother was going crazy, and I, we just my mom and I would pray for him. And so two years after my baptism, he was baptized. We both went to um, a school called Mission College, and we did Bible work. I Bible worked for seven years. He Bible worked five five, five or so years. Went all over the United States and Europe sharing the message. He went to Australia. Just a huge blessing. We decided to go back to school. He went back before me, and... Uh, We went back here to Andrews in our undergrad, and it was just a huge, huge blessing. In the process of going to school, one of the great things that that happened was not so much the degree, but I met this really great girl. And um, though we never went out during school, I asked her out after we graduated um, and had a long-distance relationship. We ended up going to Cuba together uh, on a mission trip, and when she was translating for me, And we were working together. I was like, this is my ministry partner. I have to ask her out. And she said yes, and we got married. And she did the children's story this morning. And so she's sitting right up here. So my brother, he got picked up by Michigan Conference and then I was able to get picked up by Mission Conference. He's now pastoring in Lansing as a youth pastor, was up in UP. And uh, I was over in Detroit, and the Detroit area, and now I'm here in seminary. And there's just so many things that have been such huge blessing. I just don't have time to tell you. But God is amazing, and he can do amazing things. And this is the thing. You don't have to have a story like mine. You don't have to go out and do what I did. One of the young girls who came to my door and did her best goes around and shares with people about how she gave her summer up as a high school student to go knock on some doors and share the Bible with people and how this guy came in who was completely going down the wrong path and he was saved and not only him, his whole family ended up coming in and she's just raised in the church and this is the thing. You can have my story by being a part of someone. You don't have to go out there. This is, this is the thing. What I want to share with you is that God is real and that he loves you. Number one, he, every time I tell this story, it just reminds me of everything that he's done for me and how much he loves me. And everyone can just know that God is real and he loves you. Number two is that evangelism works and you can be a part of it. You don't have to preach a meeting. You don't have to knock on doors, but there's some gift that you have that there's people that only you can reach. You just have to be willing. You just have to be willing. Listen, there's your Connect card in, in your, in your um, bulletin. If you don't have one, raise your hand, and I'm sure there's an usher that can give it to you. This Connect card has, has some next steps in it. And step number one. Step number one. I just hope that all of you can mark that, whether it's the hundredth time, the thousandth time, or this is your first time, that you can acknowledge today that God is real and that he loves you, and you're just basically saying, I love you back by marking that. You're just telling God that you love him and you know that he loves you. The second one is that you accept that evangelism works. People say it doesn't work. You don't have to do a meeting. The real thing is one-on-one connection. The reason why the meeting worked for me is that someone connected me at the door on a one to one basis. But evangelism works. We just need people to be a part of it. And I don't know how he's going to call you. There's so many ways that you can connect with people and share the love of God and share the message. But if you want to be a part of his work... And I don't know what he could do with you, but you just want to say, God, use me. Tell me what to do. Bring someone into into my path. Give me a Bible study. Give me someone to share the love of Jesus with. He will take care of it. I can't tell you what to do. God will tell you. The Spirit, if you'll listen, will tell you what to do. And the life of doing his work is so much better than anything else. And then finally, more specifically, I am going to be doing a set of meetings for this church. Jose and I are speaking, Pastor Jose and I. And I love revelation seminars. It's where I met my first love. And I just hope and pray that in our preaching, somebody can get connected with Jesus for the first time. But I'll need your help because it takes an invitation to get people here. We can't rely on mailings, can't rely on public advertising. You know somebody, and it just takes grabbing a flyer from the foyer in the literature rack and just saying, Hey, you should check out these meetings. What's it going to hurt? Maybe there's someone in your dorm, maybe there's someone in your neighborhood, maybe you just pray about it and keep one in your car and you meet somebody randomly at a gas station. Maybe you'll get lost. Who knows? If you're just willing to invite somebody, the worst that will happen is that they just don't come. Or they say, no, it's not that big of a deal. So mark there that you would like to either be involved, volunteering, or more importantly, just invite people. Who knows what could happen? If you saw me driving my hearse, you would think there's no way that guy would ever be an Adventist. And now I'm a pastor. So please, just look at those things. Mark, mark them And as we're going to sing a closing song The reason why I picked this song Is because when I was going through that dark time in my life After the LSD Heavy metal music just didn't work in calming me down So I started to listen to classical music during this time And one of my favorite songs Was, hymn num- well, was Beethoven's Ninth So then when I went to church And one service, I hated hymns They were just so boring but the first hymn that I fell in love with was hymn number 12 because it was based on Beethoven's ninth, And that was the first time I tried singing. And I still can't sing very well, but I sang with my whole heart and I just didn't care because that song meant something to me. And so I would like us to sing that as we close. Hymn number 12, and I won't be helping you because I can't sing and you, it would be a curse and not a blessing. It's not my gift at all. But I just ask that you would just sing hymn number 12, with all of your heart, and I'll turn my mic off so I can sing with all my heart, and we'll um, sing that together, and then please stand on the third, uh, the third, um, the third verse.